Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This program may contain explicit language. Also, we have a newsletter coming out. It's at slate.com slash gist news. Now on with the possibly filthy show. It's Friday, January 25th, 2019 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Let me just start with a couple of Oscar thoughts. Not bolts of insight necessarily. Not drop the handle while you're doing the upright cable plank. I think I might try to be the official podcast of the upright cable plank. But first, before I get to my Oscar insights, which I will connect to politics, I want to get to our sponsors. I recently got a little jealous of the sponsors of another podcast I listened to. Endless Thread is supported by Packet and Wasabi, two companies working to deliver a new model for cloud computing. Together, their integrated solution combines the power of dedicated bare metal servers, that's Packet, with low-cost, high-speed cloud storage. Wasabi. So I'm here to tell you that the gist is sponsored by Satchels and Pearl Onions. Satchels and Pearl Onions, a storage and transportation solution that does not rely on the cloud, and also a small onion that turns any martini into a Gibson. Satchels and Pearl Onions, innovative solutions for carrying things separately and the lacking of a little onion. Oh, okay, my insights. So I've heard a lot of people who say that the Oscar front runner, which is Roma, they say, you know, it was a little slow. I couldn't get into it. And here's why. Too low a barrier of entry. It was free on Netflix. Now, in the past, the people that really don't want to go to a cinema and see a black and white movie with subtitles would not go to the cinema to see the black and white movie with subtitles and would not be complaining about it now. But because it's on Netflix, too many people who wouldn't see it are seeing it. So it's suffering from the charge of being overrated. It's not overrated. You just shouldn't have been seeing it. Okay, now now to the politics stuff. The Oscar-nominated movie that is the most like a Democratic candidate is Green Book being like Joe Biden. Here's why. People like Green Book. Democrats like Joe Biden. Party insiders like Joe Biden. Green Book, well, critics on Rotten Tomatoes gave it 82%. And by the way, the audience gave it 94%. It's the kind of movie that people want when they see a movie, just like Joe Biden is the kind of candidate that Democrats want when they think about a nominee. Ah, but that's public opinion. Let us talk about elite opinion, both Green Book, Joe Biden, problematic. Critics K. Austin Collins of Vanity Fair did not like it. Wesley Morris did not like it. The entire Culture Gab Fest did not like it. Cultural asides on most podcasts I listen to know that you can denigrate it and get a good laugh. It's that movie this year. It's driving Miss Daisy level racial awareness. Just like Joe Biden has that 1994 crime bill he has to deal with. It's a different time. Sure, you can make that argument, but this time is 2019, and so both of those relics have a little answering to do. But you know what Oscar movie is like presidential candidate Kamala Harris? Is it the front runner? No, she's not the front runner. Is it the favorite? Nope, she's not the favorite. Is it a star is born? Yes, it is, even though we figured out her star is born a little while ago. 
See, the Star is Born has this negative against it, which is, according to The Guardian, quote, the gender politics of the film has remained almost defiantly untouched by feminism's second, third, and fourth waves, as they all suggest that the women's success emasculates, even feminizes the man. Vox goes, more bluntly, A Star is Born has a problem with consent. And that's just like Kamala Harris having a problem with being a prosecutor. Here is what is wrong, however, about that reading. We think, you know, Democrats, they're into criminal justice reform. Being a prosecutor could hurt. Look, Democrats are into, right now, they're into criminal justice reform for street criminals and felons and thieves. But what they really want is a prosecutor of those who have committed high crimes and misdemeanors. So it's the same with A Star is Born. It's not really hurt by its less-than-perfect gender politics. In fact, maybe Oscar voters love the idea of a successful woman emasculating a man. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if either will win. Although Oscar odds makers say A Star is Born won't win, and Oscar odds makers are almost always right. So in summary, I think Green Book Joe Biden, Kamala Harris Star is Born, Roma, Uh, That's Amy Klobuchar, meaning exquisitely crafted, but most Americans just not ready to be challenged like that. And the Black Klansman is, of course, former Milwaukee Sheriff David Clark. No, no, unfair. Let's also go through while we're here. Let's also go through last year's list of best Oscar nominees and see who they were. What politician? Trump is the darkest hour. Trump needs to get out. Trump's backbone is the shape of water. Trump's kryptonite. They all work for The Post. Trump's media support, that's down to three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Trump's special prosecutor is pulling on the phantom thread. And Trump's back channel to Putin, we just found out, is communicating the following. Call me by your name. On the show today, yes, it is an analysis of Trump's shutdown back down. But first, a talk about the shape of the 2020 presidential elections and importantly, the rules that the primaries will be decided by. The rules, in fact, will determine the shape. Longtime Democratic consultant and party leader Donna Brazil is here up next. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. 
Donna Brazile has run presidential campaigns. She has run the DNC twice. She is now out with a bunch of her friends and colleagues out with a new book called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Politics. It's Donna Brazile, Yolanda Carraway, Leah Daughtry, Minion Moore with Veronica Chambers. We're just going to talk all about where the Democratic Party is now, where she is now, where America is now. Thanks for coming in. Uh, what a great honor. And, you know, writing a book about politics with three of your best friends, yeah. describing our journey over the last 30 plus years as uh, members of the Democratic Party, leaders of the Democratic Party, uh, interns, staff persons, we have Basically, we've held every position, um, notwithstanding we've never been a candidate for office. But given the crop of candidates, who knows? We might run one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's happening now. And, and the Congress is more uh, representative of America, still a far way. 20% women is not 51% women. It's more people of color. So my question to you is, other than the fact that if we have a representative government, we want them to reflect all sorts of aspects of the people, and that is good. What do you think either women or or people of color in politics, how do the policies change? How do their commitments or priorities change from the normal white guys that we usually have and still dominate both chambers? Well, all you have to do is look at the farm bill, which just passed the House a few months ago. And inside that bill, in addition to, you know, the agriculture, crops, uh, you have resources there for land-grant colleges and universities, which include many of our uh, historical black colleges and universities, Here's another policy where for years the African-American community has been crying out about mass incarceration. Now with the First Step Act, we will see a dramatic reduction in the number of people who are, you know, being held behind bars, bail reform. Mm -hmm. These are issues, yes, Rand Paul can push it, but having a Kamala Harris push it. Uh, often these individuals put more emphasis on it. Today when I see um, the newly elected woman here from the Bronx, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I say give her an opportunity, give her a chance. I mean, people are criticizing her, some people are applauding her, yeah. but I'm like, she's bringing ideas that need to be discussed. Look, you know, everything from raising the wage to $15, to free college tuition. We heard a lot of it during the, the 2016. These individuals believe that this can happen in their lifetime. And you know what I'm, I'm saying to my friends? And I love the I love the OGs. I'm an OG. There's old, old gangsters, whatever you want to call us. I'm telling them, give them an opportunity. Yeah. Let them serve. Let them get out there. Yeah. Well, maybe. The what do we have to lose? We were in the wilderness for eight years. What do we have to lose? Um, I want to ask you about delegates and how 2020 is going to run. But let's just go back. You mentioned um, you, you mentioned some of the OG Democrats that you've worked with with and you mentioned bail reform a few days ago, three, four days ago, MLK Day. Joe Biden said that uh, he regrets some of his the, the votes he made on drug sentencing, making uh, the sentencing of crack cocaine so much uh, harsher than powder cocaine. He hasn't really come off uh, his stance on the crime bill. I wonder what you think he has to say to keep faith with the Democratic base in which he's still very popular. What should Joe Biden say and how much should he talk about his role in the crime bill, mass incarceration, but also the fact that the murder rate was sky high back then. Maybe some of our younger listeners don't remember. How should he how should he play that? Well, he needs to be upfront about it. Hillary Clinton was hit hit by that issue. She was not just blindsided by it, but she was hit. And although yeah. she wasn't a member of Congress, she wasn't the chair of the Judiciary Committee. She didn't craft the bill, but she was hit by it because 
because she was married to the president of the United States. And she, uh, at one point uh, after, I, I believe it was an incident where uh, someone who was on crack threw his baby out the window. And that's when she used the term super predator. She had to make amends for that. She had to, um, you know, basically come out and say, look, I I went too far with that. Joe, Joe Biden needs to set the table by basically saying, here's what it was like to be a member of Congress back in the 1990s when not only black lawmakers, but black preachers, uh, people in the community, they were frightened. They were afraid of their own lives. See, I remember those days. Right. I know I'm an OG. Yeah. And I lived in the inner cities of Washington, D.C. in New Orleans. Uh, but I remember daily, day in and day out, how our offices on Capitol, we were bombarded with calls from people saying, do something, do something. It was a terrible time. And yet, I think we went too far. Yes. And I think Joe Biden has to say that we went too far. But you know what? It's time to uh, reform the criminal justice system. We we have a we got a little head start with the first step back, but that's not enough. We got to do more. And I think Joe Biden can make that case. I think if he spends his time explaining the context, and I agree with you, and I know this city had 2,300 murders mm. in 1990, and now it's 300. Right. It's very hard to get your mind around the two thousand extra souls a year who are walking around you can't point to them and say well that guy would be dead and that guy would be dead we, d- we don't know uh it's just an amazing thing to have crime come down that much and i do think the crime bill was part of it but my point is i do think if you spend too much time talking about the context and explaining why you made the vote then as opposed to the phrase you used making amends now that's right. not the right way to phrase it we don't we're not going to be able to listen for 20 minutes of right. your explanation we want a sentence or two sentences uh, uh, two sentences absolutely yeah. but but, you know, um, you know, we have a we I saw it in 20, 2016, um, you know, for the first time I had people contacting me that I've never heard from before. And they were like, why did you all do this? Why did you do, do this? And I'm like, do you understand the 1980s yeah. and the 1990s? It's, it's like people have forgotten. Well, some of them weren't born. I understand. <laughs> and that's why I think we have to put everything in context. Yeah. I mean, uh, I had a dinner party at my house a few months ago, and it was to raise money for all of the record number of uh, black women candidates. And a young man came up to me. He said, I didn't know Jesse Jackson ran for president. And I, I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, they know Barack Obama, but they don't remember that before Barack Obama, there was a Jesse Jackson. Before Jesse Jackson, there was a Shirley Chisholm. And before Shirley Chisholm, there was a Fannie Lou Hamer. They don't have the history. And so we have to connect the, the past to the present in order to get to the future. And I think that is incumbent upon all of the candidates, not just Joe Biden. Yeah. Well, Joe Biden does have a 73% favorable rating in the black community. That is so correct. it's not exactly uh, hurting him. I wonder, I don't know if there's such a thing as a front runner. I mean, do you think now that there is a front runner? No, I know the polls will indicate that, you know, Bernie and, and, and Elizabeth and Kamala and Joe, they all have high name recognition. But, you know, this is this is a wide open field. Yeah. And as and as I, as I tell some of my friends, especially my family in South Carolina, I say, get to know the candidate, kick the tire, see who can, uh, you know, sit down and have a meal with you. Think about it uh, and then pass on your sentence to the rest of us. We may not complete the sentence, but at least we'll get an opportunity to see the flavor of the Democratic Party. 
I'm excited about it. I mean, look, I haven't been in the kitchen with so many chefs in a long time, so we just need <laughs> to see what they're serving <laughs> on the menu. What do you think of the phenomenon of, well, we see AOC, now Beto O'Rourke, who's not even a member of Congress. On the one hand, it's good to have young, exciting voices. On the other hand, you value experience. So here we have, this guy's a phenomenon, and he gives great speeches. And I'm not saying he's not smart or doesn't even have good policy proposals, but does it bother you that this guy is up there with people who've been in Congress 20 years or have been, you know, in the case of Kamala Harris in public life for decades? Uh, what What did he do to earn that? Well, look, I'm all about proven leadership, but I'm also about new ideas and fresh faces. Look, at one point last year, I thought I had to go to the Count Dracula blood bank in order to, you know, get fresh blood in the Democratic Party. This is a very important year for Democrats to figure out what type of leadership we need in the 21st century. We do know that Joe Biden has the experience. But on the other hand, you know, why not give Cory Booker a a second look? Why not allow Julian uh, Castro and some of the other Kamala Harris, Elizabeth? I love it. See, I'm I'm not in one of the the, the four states, mm-hmm. um, and, but over the years, as a member of the DNC and as a member of the Rules and Bylaws Committee, I have voted to allow those four states. I remember when it was only two states uh, that helped select our candidates. We now have four because the Democratic Party wanted to have more diversity, more diverse voices, and more uh, diverse uh, uh, voters. Well, it's, it's New Hampshire, it's Iowa, it's South Carolina, and Nevada, Nevada, mm-hmm. and and that is more diverse. But now. Now you have on March 3rd, you have Texas and California voting. Yes. And in fact, in Texas, they could start voting with mail-in votes before they even vote in New Hampshire. That's correct. And there's been a lot of worry about that. I think mostly because it's different, but also the kind of campaigning one does in Iowa, where you go to a lot of, we go to all 99 counties and all that versus impossible in California. Will that complicate um, or make it harder for the not extremely well-funded candidate to break through? Well, as I always tell people, pick your state and pick your date. Mm -hmm. The way in which the delegate selection uh, process work is that you can look at a California with over 60 counties and say, "Mm, maybe I'll just put resources in, say, these four counties versus the big counties like L.A., San Francisco. Maybe you'll choose Oakland for the 15 delegates you can get out of that pool versus San Francisco, where you might only be eligible for uh, 17. Remember— You talk to the farmers near Fresno. You go to the Inland Empire. There's a different way to play it. That's right, because you got 55 congressional districts, and each district is rewarded delegates based on Democratic performance. So the rules of California, they're not exactly set right now, but will it work that there are—every congressional district will have delegates uh, allotted to them, but is there also a statewide delegate allotment that you have to get at least 15 percent of the statewide vote to get some of those delegates? Yes, yes. There's a—anyone—we yeah. like we like to say that if you participate and you get 15 percent, you reach that threshold. Yeah. We've lowered it from 20 percent, and we've eliminated winner-take-all. Winner and by the way, we encourage early voting. We also encourage same-day registration, and we're looking for ways for caucuses to become more accessible. Uh, The Democratic Party will be meeting the day after Valentine's Day, and we will make sure that every state understand uh, these rules so that they submit delegate plans that will reflect our our new charge, which is to make our party more accessible. But I've been known as a member of the DNC to reject uh, delegate slates because— it wasn't diverse. I once had a situation where Arizona said they could not find Native Americans. And I said, hmm, that won't pass. California said they could not find 
openly gay lesbian women. I said, that won't pass. And Connecticut came once uh, and didn't have enough women. I said, that won't pass. So I'm going to make sure for 2020 that I focus on accessibility, ballot accessibility. I want to focus on ensuring that no American is denied their right to vote. we got to get rid of voter suppression, but I'm also going to look for diversity. Yeah. So you're saying there are lesbians in California. We can les- say that. Les- there are lesbians in <laughs> All over the country, especially in California, yes, and there are Native Americans in Arizona. It turns out Arizona. Uh, I want to go back, though, to one question because I really don't know this. Um, in California, uh, to get the statewide some – so there are 495 delegates, I think, in California, and some will be decided by a statewide total. The question we call is, them at-large. At-large. So if there party are – Party leaders – Party leaders and elected officials and at-large delegates, yes. But my question just on a basis of fact is if there are 20 candidates who run and a bunch of them get in the single digits and there are only three candidates who get above 15 percent, then all three of those candidates will split yes. all the at-large delegates. That's correct. That's so that 15 percent is a pretty magical threshold. That 15 percent yeah. is a magical threshold. Because even though you might only get 15 percent of the delegates, if you are only one of three or four candidates to get 15%, then you wind up getting 30% of the at-large delegates. If, of, if, yeah. if you get 15% in a congressional district, you get delegates. Yeah. Bottom line. Yeah. yeah that's that, that's, that is that's true. the way you look at I it. I want to ask you about superdelegates. I'm one of them. Yeah, you should be. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> how do you think the change of the rule, and the rule is that superdelegates won't be asked for their vote unless there's a second ballot. That's And correct. there hasn't been a second ballot in 40 years? 40 years. Yeah. Okay. How do you think the lack of superdelegates might affect the race, the dynamics of the race? There's there's that primary to get the superdelegates beforehand. That's not going to go on now well, as much. So John came, my good friend from CNN and, and so many of the other uh, television analysts that get on with the magic wall, will not put out a sheet of paper the day after the New Hampshire primary and say, Bernie won the state, yeah. uh, but he received 15 delegates. Hillary lost the state, but she has 18 delegates. That's because the governor and the senators are for Hillary Clinton. Right, so that, right. That, it makes it seem undemocratic to right, the populace. Right, because right, the populace don't, don't understand that governors and mayors and, and DNC members, we have a weakened decide. So, so the in, invisible primary this time will be more about how much money you've raised. Yeah versus how many superdelegates you have. That's I mean, what I'm thinking. The last thing I would say on superdelegates is this. If the Republicans had him, Donald Trump wouldn't be president. He would not be president, and he knows that. Do you have an instinct for the type of candidate who would be best to defeat Donald Trump? Mm. Um, so the debate is something like, well, we need someone who can mix it up with him. Or we need someone, the Democrats saying, we need someone who just stands above him and doesn't, doesn't you know, get muddy. We need someone who is a contrast in terms of maybe their demographics. We need someone, you know, let's be, let's be real about this, a white man defeating the white man will have a better chance. Do you have any instinct for the kind of candidate? I, I, my gut tells me right now, I just want somebody who is sane. Yeah, sane. <laughs> I, sane, okay? Going sane. I, I'm, I'm going for sanity first. That's number one. And I'm not saying anything about his temperament or all that. I just, the way in which he governs and the way in which he goes about his day-to-day work, that is just not it's not right. Yeah, he does it by spasm. Yeah. yeah. When I look to the future, I look at if you're Joe and, and Jane America and, and you're out there, say, in Missouri um, or even Illinois, 
You're looking for somebody that your kids can look up to. You want somebody that uh, when when the TV is on, you don't have to mute it because you don't know what might come out of his or her mouth. And you want somebody that can speak about our country and, and, and our future by bringing those common sense values back into American life. Now, is that possible in a Democratic primary? Yes, because I know these people. And I'm a Democrat, but for three years after Hurricane Katrina, I sat down in George Bush White House and worked with the president to help rebuild the Gulf Coast. I'm not afraid to say I know Republicans and I respect them. But there's something about this period of time, the last two years. We've lost our way, and we need someone who can champion our values again and those Democratic values that bring us together. So when something uh, like Charlottesville happened— there's nobody in the White House saying they're both sides. Oh, hell no. Yeah. That's what I want. Donna Brazil, along with Yolanda Carraway, Leah Daughtry, and Minion Moore, is behind the book for colored girls who have considered politics. And we would take too long to list all of her resume, <laughs> but it was excellent to meet you, Donna. I look forward to coming back to talk about the Democratic uh, primary once we get underway on February 3rd, 2020. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And now the spiel. Our president today backed down over the government shutdown and prudently allowed for a window of negotiation. That window happens to coincide with the period he was to have given the State of the Union address, possibly live from the portico at Mar-a-Lago if there was a shutdown going on. But now he'll be in front of Congress like all the other big boy presidents. Never underestimate what a threat to cut this man's mic will do to Donald Trump. In explaining his thinking, Donald Trump offered words of hope, which were clearly written for him and read by him in a halting and often sloppy fashion. Like this. Last year alone, ICE officers removed 10,000 known or suspected gang members like MS-13 and members as bad as them. And he gets further into the she sells seashells tongue twister, which isn't really a tongue twister, with this phrase. We do not need 2,000 miles of concrete wall from sea to shiny sea. We never did. Okay, so it won't be built from sea to shiny sea. Where will a wall be built? Nowhere. That's what you get when you cave on your wall or else shut down. Now, of course, if you listen to Trump, he used this speech to announce his policy, and his policy was that he would be relenting. He used it mostly to talk about how he will not be relenting. This was a bit of magical thinking. As far as that genre goes, some of my favorite books are things like Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, less thrilling Donald Trump and the powerful alternative. As everyone knows, I have a very powerful alternative, but I didn't want to use it at this time. I've seen this guy's alternative. It is not that powerful. Neither is your pretend fence that doesn't look like it's going to exist. Walls and physical barriers and very powerful fences. Also, not very overpowering in its powerfulness, his command of specifics. They go into the desert areas or whatever areas you can look at. And? And they have finally and fully acknowledged that having barriers, fencing, or walls or whatever you want to call it. Uh, let's call it a magical rallying, an invisible barricade. 
He went on to talk alarmingly, but also dishonestly, about a few ways that only a magical barricade could help stem certain crimes. First up was talk of sex trafficking. Women are tied up, they're bound, duct tape put around their faces, around their mouths. In many cases, they can't even breathe. So in other words, they're human traffickers of corpses, ex-humans. Seems like a flaw in the business model if you actually suffocate the people you are trafficking. Also, this belief that people can only be trafficked across the southern border, kind of weird coming from a man who has a long history of dating and marrying a string of European bikini models. They don't go through your port of entry. Yes, no human was ever trafficked via airplane. Every Chinese massage parlor indentured servant can attest to that. Aside from the crime of human trafficking, he mentioned some other crimes. In the last two years, ICE officers arrested a total of 266,000 criminal aliens inside of the United States, including those charged or convicted of nearly 100,000 assaults, 30,000 sex crimes, and 4,000 homicides or as you would call them, violent, vicious killings. All right, I checked the stats. They cannot be right. Just the murder stats alone. So states other than Texas do not keep statistics on the immigration status of criminals. But if you look at Texas, as the Cato Institute did, you would find in 2016, uh, convicted of murder in the state were 746 native-born Texans, meaning native-born to the United States, not necessarily to Texas, 32 illegal immigrants, and 28 legal immigrants. That's the grand total of those who are convicted of murder in Texas. Texas is 9% of the U.S. population, about 14% of the illegal immigrant population. Whichever extrapolation you do nationally, you don't come close to 4,000 illegal immigrants killing people over a two-year period. It's not close to 2,000 a year. It's more like two or 300 a year. In fact, a few days after Trump's Oval Office address, he went to Twitter to cite similar stats. He wrote, in the great state of Texas, between 2011 and 2018, there were a total of 292,000 crimes by illegal aliens, 539 murders. We checked these stats, and yes, those were the number of arrests but there were only 238 convictions in that eight-year period, so about 30 a year. Extrapolated once more, you get to a number that indicates there are a bit over 400 murders over a two-year period, not 4,000. Trump's numbers cannot be credible. Finally, Trump ended with kind of a meandering letdown. The government will either shut down on February 15th again, or I will use the powers afforded to me under the laws and the Constitution of the United States to address this emergency. We will have great security. And I want to thank you all very much. Thank you very much. And that was it. So I thought I'd help the guy out. Let us take one of his weirder moments. All over the world, our immigration laws, all over the world, they've been there for a long time, are the laughingstock all over the world. And we are going to play him out with the rap stylings of Ludacris. All over the world. All over the world, they've been there for a long time. All over the world. 
over the world, baby. All over the world. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bien-Aimé and Daniel Schrader produced the gist. Well, Pierre produced it today. Daniel was on a flight to Sundance. He left from LaGuardia, which was not delayed. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump. TJ Raphael, a senior producer of Slate Podcasts, she enjoyed eating properly inspected meat. Again, thanks to government workers. We already thank Mr. Trump, right? The gist. Do you understand about the upright cable plank, right? You just stand there and you just hold the thing and your core gets stronger. I'm not saying it's easy, but it really is kind of wonderful. I'll be talking a little bit more about that in the weeks to come. And thanks for listening. First, the candidates cussed me out. Then I got cussed out by all of the black and, and brown journalists who said, well, you just go on to CNN, CNN, because you work for CNN. I said, okay, well, we'll expand it to Univision and TV One. I got in trouble. Yeah. I'm not doing none of that this time. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> I might watch this entire primary season from Puerto Rico. I love San Juan. 